European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 25, Focus Issue on Coronary Artery Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Coronary Artery Disease, Risk Factors, Hemodynamic Significance and Anatomical Complexity, and Platelet Lipidome. Coronary artery disease and its complications, such as acute coronary syndromes and heart failure, remain the most important cause of hospitalizations and mortality in Western countries. As outlined by the most recent ESC guidelines, besides age and genetics, several modifiable risk factors such as hypertension, hyperlipidemia, smoking and diabetes are involved in its development. Obesity is often associated with such cardiovascular risk factors. This focus issue begins with an article entitled Position Paper of the ESC Working Group of Coronary Pathophysiology and Microcirculation, Obesity and Heart Disease by the members of the working group. The authors remind us that obesity is not only related to mortality, but is also an independent risk factor for ischemic heart disease and cerebrovascular disease. Indeed, weight loss through energy restriction and or exercise improves metabolic health and reduces cardiovascular morbidity and mortality associated with obesity. Adipose tissue, besides its role in energy storage, is a potent source of hormones, peptides and cytokines known as adipokines that can promote coronary disease as well as of stem cells. Furthermore, adipose tissue is involved in the regulation of eating behavior through the production of leptin, glucose metabolism via the release of visfatin, resistin and adiponectin, lipid metabolism by cholesterol ester transfer protein, lipoprotein lipase, adipocyte fatty acid binding protein 4, retinol binding protein and sirtuins, systemic blood pressure via angiotensinogen and angiotensin 2, inflammation by the production of tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin 6 and macrophage chemoattractant protein 1, and finally coagulation through the release of plasminogen activator inhibitor 1. As a result, obesity may cause coronary macro and microvascular disease by the development of a pro-inflammatory and pro-thrombotic state, as well as cardiometabolic and vascular dysfunction. Furthermore, obesity is often associated with insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes mellitus, and hypertension. Therefore, obesity induces a complex cardiovascular risk phenotype with multiple comorbidities contributing to coronary macro and microvascular disease. Clinically relevant coronary artery disease must be hemodynamically significant to induce ischemia of the myocardium. Traditionally, the significance of coronary artery stenosis is assessed by angiographic eyeballing. Unfortunately, many lesions are exocentric, making a precise assessment of the degree of obstruction at angiography difficult. To that end, fractional flow reserve has been developed. However, hemodynamic assessment of coronary lesions is not only important for percutaneous coronary interventions, but also for bypass grafting. In a clinical review, fractional flow reserve to guide and to assess coronary artery bypass grafting 
Emmanuel Barbato and colleagues from Genk in Belgium highlights the clinical relevance of invasive functional evaluation for coronary artery bypass grafting. Indeed, European guidelines support the use of fractional flow reserve to complement coronary angiography with the highest degree of recommendation, or IA, for the assessment of coronary stenosis before myocardial revascularization when previous non-invasive functional evaluation is unavailable or not conclusive. As a result, fractional flow reserve has been adopted in routine clinical practice to guide clinicians' decision to revascularize a given coronary segment. Due to the increasing confidence of the interventional cardiologists, fractional flow reserve guidance is also being implemented to guide coronary artery bypass grafting. Unfortunately, supportive evidence for this application is still lacking, since recommendations for fractional flow reserve adoption were based on randomized clinical trials investigating percutaneous coronary intervention. In these trials, typical indications for coronary artery bypass graft were excluded, for example left main disease, valvular disease, and coronary anatomy unsuitable for percutaneous coronary intervention. Nevertheless, based on the critical appraisal of the available literature, Fractional flow reserve can still play an important role in risk stratification and determining management strategy of patients either before or after coronary artery bypass grafting. As discussed above, while the diagnostic and prognostic value of fractional flow reserve has been proven, the additive prognostic value of coronary flow reserve remains unclear. In a clinical research manuscript entitled Fractional Flow Reserve and Pressure-Bounded Coronary Flow Reserve to Predict Outcomes in Coronary Artery Disease, Sung Jung Park and colleagues from the Asan Medical Center in Seoul, South Korea, investigated the clinical utility of combined measurements of fractional flow reserve and coronary flow reserve to predict outcomes. Using the prospective multicenter IRIS FFR registry, a total of 2,088 lesions of 1,837 patients were analysed and followed up over two years. Based on baseline and hyperemic pressure gradients, the so-called pressure-bounded coronary flow reserve was computed and lesions classified as low with a value below 2 or high with a value of 2 or greater. As expected, cardiac death myocardial infarction and revascularization occurred in 5.7% of patients with a fractional flow reserve of less than or equal to 0.80, but only in 2.8% of those with fractional flow reserve above 0.80. In contrast, events did not differ between patients with pressure-bounded coronary flow reserve below 2 or above 2. Thus, fractional flow reserve is strongly associated with clinical outcomes, while pressure-bounded coronary flow reserve is not. These somewhat surprising findings are put into context in an editorial by Colin Berry from the University of Glasgow in the UK. Decision-making for percutaneous coronary intervention or surgery in patients with stable three-vessel coronary artery disease not only depends on the results of fractional flow reserve, but also on the anatomic complexity as assessed by the syntax score. 
While the Syntax 1 score is primarily based on angiography, the Syntax 2 score also involves functional parameters such as left ventricular ejection fraction. In a clinical research article entitled Impact of the Syntax Scores 1 and 2 in Patients with Diabetes and Multivessel Coronary Disease, a pooled analysis of patient-level data from the Syntax Pre-Combat and BEST trials. Patrick W. Soroys and colleagues from Imperial College London in the UK compared the two scores in 3,280 patients with multivessel disease enrolled in three trials over five years, of which a third had diabetes. The rate of the composite of death, myocardial infarction, or stroke was similar and around 15% in the percutaneous coronary intervention and coronary artery bypass graft arms in patients with low to intermediate risk and a syntax score less than or equal to 32, while with a value of 24.5%, it was significantly higher in the percutaneous coronary intervention arm in patients with syntax score of greater or equal to 33 than with surgery, where it averaged 13.2%. The syntax score 2 showed good calibration and moderate discrimination ability in patients with diabetes as well as in those without it. Thus, in patients with multivessel disease and diabetes, outcomes following percutaneous coronary intervention or coronary artery bypass grafting were primarily influenced by anatomic complexity. The clinical implications of these findings are discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Spencer B. King from St. Joseph's Health System in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Another anatomic complexity is an anomalous origin of a coronary artery from the pulmonary artery or the opposite sinus has been associated with adverse cardiac events, typically occurring in the young. However, it remains unknown whether this holds true for middle-aged patients with such an uncorrected condition. In a final research article, Outcome in Middle-Aged Individuals with Anomalous Origin of the Coronary Artery from the Opposite Sinus, a matched cohort study, Ronnie Buchel and colleagues from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland assessed the outcome in 68 middle-aged patients over four years with an average age of 56 years with a newly diagnosed anomalous origin of a coronary artery from the opposite sinus by coronary computed tomography and geography. Two-thirds of the patients were classified as having anomalous origin with interarterial course. Overall, the annual event rate of patients versus matched controls was 4.9% and 4.8%, while those with an interarterial course had one of 5.2% compared to 4.3% of matched controls. Thus, in middle-aged individuals with newly diagnosed anomalous origin of a coronary artery from the opposite sinus, mid-term outcome is not higher than that of matched healthy controls, regardless of whether the anomalous origin is associated with an interarterial course or not, findings that will certainly impact on clinical practice in such patients that are currently often operated. Finally, platelets are crucial players in the development of a coronary lesion to an acute coronary syndrome. Hyperlipidemia 
and cholesterol crystals is not only a risk factor for plaque formation, but is also associated with a prothrombotic state. Indeed, platelet OXLDL binding in acute coronary syndrome correlates with their activation status. In a clinical research manuscript entitled Regulation of Oxidized Platelet Lipidome Implications for Coronary Artery Disease, Meinrad Gavatz and colleagues from the University Hospital Tübingen in Germany therefore explored the platelet lipidome in patients with symptomatic coronary artery disease and the functional role of the chemokine CXCL12 and its receptors CXCR4-7 on lipid uptake. Platelet OXLDL, detected by flow cytometry, was elevated in patients with coronary artery disease and moderately correlated with platelet CXCR7 surface expression, but inversely with CXCR4. Platelet OXLDL was particularly elevated in patients with an acute coronary syndrome and angiographic evidence of intracoronary thrombi. In line with this, ex vivo analysis of intracoronary thrombi sections revealed OXLDL deposition in platelet-enriched areas. LDL and OXLDL uptake enhance the generation of reactive oxygen species and of mitochondrial superoxide. Of note, intraplatelet LDL to OXLDL conversion and lipid peroxidation could be counteracted by SOD2 mimetic MNTMPYP. Lipidomic analysis revealed an increased intraplatelet content of oxidized phospholipids, cholesterol esters, sphigomyelin, ceramides, ditriacylglycerols, and acylcarnitines in coronary patients compared to age match controls. LDL and OXLDL induced degranulation, alpha 2b beta 3 integrin activation, apoptosis, thrombin generation estimated by calibrated automated thrombinoscopy, and shape change verified by live imaging using scanning ion conductance microscopy. Further, LDL and OXLDL enhance thrombus formation ex vivo and in vivo in mice after carotid injury. LDL and OXLDL further induced platelet CXCL12 release differentially regulated CXCR4-CXCR7 surface exposure, while CXCL12 prompted LDL and OXLDL uptake and synergistically augmented the LDL and OXLDL-induced pro-oxidative thrombogenic impact on platelet function. Thus, an altered platelet lipidome might predispose the thrombosis in coronary artery disease, a mechanism regulated by the CXCL12, CXCR4, CXCR7 axis. These novel insights are further discussed in an editorial by Karl Heinz Peter from the Baker Heart Research Institute in Melbourne, Australia. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.